Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of May 28th, 2023. So I'm recording this in the kind of in the past for you. So this is about the future for me, but this is the week of my big move over to the Netherlands. So expect me to not really be very online this week. As I've been building out the data mesh understanding kind of offering and my website and things, I've really been reflecting on what it takes to do data mesh well and where I'm seeing things fail. So much of it seems to be around the buy-in or trying to get things perfect instead of good. So make make sure to just check in with your stakeholders this week, maybe even twice, not just on the project, but how they are feeling about things related to what you're working on in Data Mesh and really test if they are bought in or just kind of saying the nice things, like really have a deep conversation and say, like, are we aligned on where we're going forward on this? So with that, what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 226, Learnings from Implementing Data Mesh at a Large Healthcare Company. This is an interview with Mike Alvarez. So this interview with Mike was really great. He was leading a very large data mesh implementation at at a healthcare company. Lots of practical advice in this one on how to actually be kind of that practical and focus on target outcomes while implementing data mesh instead of kind of the high-level concept stuff. There's some really good advice on getting and then maintaining buy-in, especially by selling domains on getting them to a capability level with their data where they can move at the speed of their business relative to their own data. And yes, they need to be preparing it so others can use it, but Their first order users are themselves. And so getting them to a place where they can really, really leverage their own data is going to supercharge their own operations. On Friday, we have episode 227, which was a panel, building out your platform for data mesh. And this was led by Paula Plotter from uh, Agile Labs with Manisha Jain at ThoughtWorks, uh, Jean-Georges Perrin or JGP at PayPal and Max Schulze, who was previously at Zalando and is now at HelloFresh. This was just kind of a fun and relaxed chat about building out your data platform with four great people and guests. You know, all of them have been on the podcast previously. So I I wanted to dig into what are some key aspects of building out a data mesh platform from the start, but also with the perspective of looking back at what you've built. How do you serve so many personas? What is important to build and when, et cetera? You'll learn a lot from this one. I think this is the first of many on this topic. That I think this is going to be 
the one topic where I have, you know, 10, 15 panels on it over the next year and a half. So with that, on to the extended summary for Mike's episode and for the panel. Just recall, extended summaries for panel episodes can go a bit long because I have so many takeaways. Extended summary for episode 226, learnings from implementing data mesh at a large healthcare company, interview with Mike Alvarez. So in this episode, I interviewed Mike, who is the former VP of digital services. So he was leading the data mesh implementation at a large healthcare distribution company. Mike started off with the general need for large companies to change their approach to analytics at scale. We've been doing a lot of the same things for the last 30 years, and they aren't quick enough to respond to changing business needs. You know, that six plus months and one million plus to get to your first query just doesn't make sense anymore. And maybe did it ever. And we can actually do better now. The business side of companies shouldn't have to wait for data and see the world change well before a solution is delivered. We need to move at the speed of business. Regarding shadow IT, despite leading a central IT you know, data organization, Mike doesn't hold it against domains that they've been building up this shadow IT. The lines of businesses can't deal with the bottlenecks of going through a central team and try to build things themselves. However, it's what they build is rarely all that scalable and certainly isn't built with sharing to the rest of the organization in mind. Shadow IT just isn't built with a product mindset, so it becomes brittle and dilapidated quickly. So the central team is a bottleneck, but the decentralized approaches don't scale. And in teams generally not really truly understanding the data they are ingesting or even often producing, and it's a recipe for data underperforming expectations. Of course, this is what Jamak identified and why she created the whole concept around data mesh. So I think this is where you have to be like, do we do fully centralized, fully decentralized? No, we have to be smart about what we centralize, what we decentralize, to what extent, all of that. And that's where also the concept of federating comes into to, to being, especially around governance. So Mike talked about when considering a new approach to data, he didn't want to do data mesh for the sake of it. You know, Scott note, no one should, right? (laughs) What was the problem they wanted to solve? Could an existing approach or platform do what was necessary? What were the organization's past failure modes or times when things didn't meet expectations? And what were the common through lines or patterns? And then he took those unmet expectations and used them for understanding as well as kind of driving buy-in. Hey, you know, that definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So if data projects were constantly not meeting expectations, shouldn't we change the way we approach data? And treating data as a product seemed like a, a, a great start in Mike's mind, you know, which is what led to selecting data mesh. While data mesh can feel like the right call to some immediately, it's not likely to be the universal reaction at any organization, right? I know a lot of people are seeing this. 
Mike and team spent a number of months driving to how this could work, right? How could data mesh even work? And building up the buy-in and momentum to even start on their data mesh journey. As, as everybody knows, this isn't an overnight approach, but you really need to think deeply about how it could work and back to those potential failure modes, how it could go wrong so you can prevent heading down bad paths as best as possible and share that as buy-in. Like, hey, we've we really thought, we've learned from past mistakes. We're not going to head down this path. What, But what really drove Mike's interest in data mesh as a possible solution was how it could enable the teams closest to the customers to react to customer and market needs, especially changes in customer demands, wants, challenges. It is about empowering those teams to move at the necessary pace to stay ahead of the competition and react instead of waiting for a centralized team to give them access to even leverage their own data or the data of teams close to them in the organization right? Move at the speed of business. For Mike, the value of data mesh isn't about the technology shifts, at least not yet. It's about the operating model, giving domains the capabilities and empowerment to handle data. We are trusting them to own their data and giving them the ability to do so in a scalable way. We are giving them the ability to react in a much quicker and more meaningful way. All of these can get people leaning into doing data mesh, but they don't care whether it's data mesh or any other paradigm. That's where data people need to connect the dots for them. How can this work and what benefit does it have for the domain? And what are the actual changes for them? This has been, Scott, a very recurrent theme of like, lay out what are the actual changes, right? What, What are the benefits, but also what are the other things that change for them? To get the most out of data mesh, Mike believes you have to have a strong vision of what are you actually trying to achieve. It's not an approach to take on lightly. You need to really think about aligning everyone around that shared vision and build as a community effort. How do you take the principles and new approaches and focus on delivering business value for their own domain and for the broader organization as well? Mike believes a big part of doing data mesh is kind of the, the social contract around enablement and empowerment. Sure, teams can go off in their own direction, but if they give up some of their autonomy to stick to the centrally provided tooling, which makes governance far easier for everybody, right? You need to give them something in return. In their case, Mike and team gave the gift of automating a lot of their the toil work, right? They specifically talked to those teams and said, where are your friction points? Where's your toil? and then worked to automate that away. On advice to his past data mesh self, which is a question I've started to ask more, Mike talked about early in a mesh journey, people believe they are aligned on vision, but they probably aren't. Holding all of data mesh as a concept and then contextualizing it to your specific organization is a a massive amount of work and cognitive load. Trying to get someone, especially someone not on the data team, to fully understand that upfront without seeing you know, how things progress, you will almost certainly have some misalignment and misunderstandings. Those are to be expected. Instead of the specifics, focus on the target outcomes. What are you trying to achieve? Instead of focusing on communicating, this is exactly what we're going to do. It's like, this is where we're going. We can dig into how we're going to get there if you want, but let's focus on what are we trying to do. If people align on the benefits, 
you are more likely to gain and retain momentum, to gain and retain buy-in. And it will take a lot of effort to get most people committed to the vision. Just be prepared for that, right? This is one of those of like (laughs) reality check that this isn't going to be easy and you may think everybody's on the same page when they really, really aren't. They might not even be in the same book. Mike talked about the three key aspects of product, viability, feasibility, and desirability. Feasibility is a, is a crucial aspect to consider in data, especially data as a product thinking, because often something just isn't likely to work for a number of reasons. And when there is the desirability but not feasibility, you really need to communicate why it's not going to happen. You know, somebody's like, oh, this would have so much value, but we can't do it. You don't just say we can't do it. You tell them why. With Data Mesh, there can be the misconception that the switch has been flipped and we can do any data work we can think of and that we should. But that prioritization process and understanding and then communicating what is the current art of the possible is important. Always be communicating about what you are doing when and why. Domain understanding is crucial to really understanding data as a product for that domain in in Mike's view. How do we move from trying to serve data sets as if that is the product to creating the information that will be most useful to consumers about the domain in a productized way? And then iterating towards more and more value as you improve the data product or suite of data products representing the domain. Easier said than done, of course, and as I just did get done saying it, it's not very easy to say, right? This is how we have to change that mindset of we need to shift from we're serving data sets to how do we focus on getting the information that people need to be able to leverage to do their jobs, to serve use cases in a productized way instead of focusing on the data is the point versus the information transfer is the point and the data product is the way to exchange that information. Mike asked the provocative question of, do we start or do we still want to seek the fabled kind of quote unquote single source of truth? It can be a bit like the dog chasing its tail. When that dog catches the tail, then what? Are we trying to be to perfectly clean data or are we trying to drive value from data? Is the juice worth the squeeze or can we drive better value and especially nimbleness by taking a slightly different view? Scott note here, Jamak urges people to consider quote unquote, the most relevant source of truth because there are multiple perspectives on the same things that can all have value, that can all be true even though they look at things from slightly different angles. You have to decide what is best and We really have to think about, is that single source of truth really of value, right? We might have single source of this metric, and this is the way that we describe this metric at the corporate level. Great. But it's not as if that is the only aspect of that metric, right? You think about sales, there's there's bookings, there's billings, there's total contract value, there's annual contract value, there's annual recurring value, there's revenue recognition, which is different depending on what you've sold and how, like there are all these different things of how, well, I just want to know how much we sold yesterday. What does that mean? You kind of have to be like, what does this person care about? But, but there are multiple things that are all true when answering that question.
Mike warned that some use cases are politically untenable or even toxic, especially early in your journey. Consider, will participants actually want to know the information? Yes, in the abstract, we want everyone to be perfectly data-driven, but humans aren't and won't ever be. Don't ignore that and tackle something that will be more hassle than it's worth, right? This is the, okay, how well are you actually doing uh, around this one project? And it's a, you know, a very politically important project, and there's a lot of kind of back and forth about it. Do you really want to dig into that versus something that's going to be valued as well as valuable? In wrapping up, Mike had two points. The first is learn to work incrementally. That has been somewhat of the antithesis to how data work has historically been done, but it's incredibly important. Second point is to really lean into empowerment and the art of the possible. We don't really know what might happen when we empower thousands of our colleagues to be better able to leverage data. Be excited and open to the journey of finding out what value they can create. Extended summary for episode 227, a panel creating a data mesh platform, the first iteration of this panel. Led by Paolo Plotter with Manisha Jane, Jean-Georges Perrin, a.k.a. JGP, and Max Schulze. Quick reminder that the extended summaries for the panels go a lot longer because of a lot of bullet points, so you know, just be prepared for that. In this episode, guest host Paolo Plotter, who's the CTO and co-founder of Agile Lab, as well as the guest of episode 3, facilitated a discussion with Manisha Jane, who's a data engineer at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 220, Jean-Georges Perrin, a.k.a. JGP, who's the intelligence platform lead at PayPal and guest of episode 130, and Max Schulze, who's the associate director of data engineering at HelloFresh, guest of episode 21. And he's been, well, a lot of these folks have been in a lot of uh, data mesh-related content out there. As per usual, though, all guests were only reflecting their own views. So for these, I share my kind of takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of each of the panelists views individually. So I've got eight key takeaways and then another 20 uh, takeaways after that. So my top takeaways, number one, as with every aspect of data mesh, you will need to focus your data platform work on what best drives value. And you need to do so incrementally and you need to focus on both the short term and the long term, right? It's not like you can just focus on one small aspect of this. Look to start at common friction points in your org's regular data work, not just the data mesh work, like something like automated provisioning. That will give users a good first experience that is incrementally better to existing data work, potentially driving buy-in. So think, look at your actual org's existing data work before data mesh and find common friction points and say, hey, we're, we're focusing on that. Number two, it's really crucial to understand user personas and necessary capabilities for each persona. Who is using it? Why are they using it? And what are their points of friction? That experience plane will become incredibly important as you move along, but it probably shouldn't be your initial focus. Number three, the word platform, especially in data mesh, can be thought of as a plural, right? It's platforms, but people just say data platform. 
Don't focus on only creating a kind of a single platform to rule them all. Focus on delivering scalable capabilities that reduce friction and support scalability and reliability slash trustability of data work by producers. Users don't care how it all fits together. Create a system that can evolve and scale, right? Don't create 8 million different platforms, but also you don't have to (laughs) try to say, this has to live in all one code base or anything like that, right? Think about how can you actually evolve this so that you can continue to kind of iterate and, and kind of grow it. Number four, you must treat your platform as a product itself. Think about how well it satisfies user needs, how good is the user experience, etc. But that also means your platform has a life cycle where you add and eventually prune features. From the start, apply product thinking to your platform. Number five, prioritization of platform capabilities will probably always be a challenge once you have more than a few domains using the platform. Balance being reactive and proactive with the need to generalize solutions to fit many use cases so you're not doing kind of these one-off use cases. Again, look to product management for uh, advice on how to manage your roadmap and priorities. Number six, really think about how to handle breaking changes. They're likely inevitable and that's okay but you need to focus strongly on communication and limiting the impact and providing a gentle migration path. Don't break without really needing to and do so sparingly. Past guest, I can't remember who, talked about kind of trust tokens. You have a certain number of tokens and they generate you generate trust very, very slowly. So when you do a breaking change, you're calling in one of your trust tokens from people. You don't want to do that kind of without real need to. Number seven, data integration, especially in a highly regulated industry, is going to be a challenge you will face relatively early on in a data mesh implementation. It's likely not going to be easy. Be prepared for that. Data mesh isn't a magic wand. It doesn't solve everything magically for you. And then the last of my key takeaways, number eight, You need to understand where there is friction in the data product creation and management process. That's where your platform should focus. That might feel obvious, but it's not how data platforms traditionally have been built. Basically, look to automate unnecessary friction first. Even if that means focusing on things like templates and blueprints and things like that instead of the cool tech first. So I've got 20 other important takeaways any that touch on similar points to the ones above and even to each other, just kind of from different uh, angles and things like that. So number one, there are many ways to potentially get started, probably too many to list. But think about getting to early necessary capabilities that deliver value. It's easy to get bogged down in technical aspects. Instead, start specifically by asking what creates value quickly, especially when you're first getting started quick value generation is really, really crucial. Number two, if you aren't ready to build your platform incrementally, you probably aren't ready to do data mesh, right? I'm just going to say full stop. Like, don't do that if you can't build this incrementally. You need to be comfortable with demonstrating value and building as you learn and as your needs progress. Number three, when you are early in your journey, discoverability or usability is a characteristic many might overlook. 
you're building data products to support a specific use case. But if you want to drive buy-in and get incremental users of those data products from you know, incremental additional domains, discoverability might be a very important early capability. What is your adoption leverage point? This is something I'm probably going to dig a lot further into because if discoverability, if those additional domains using the data isn't your kind of overall data mesh adoption leverage point, then discoverability or usability might not be the most important thing at the start. Think about how, if this is going to be successful in the greater scheme of things, how would that happen? What are your leverage points? And look to find those and and kind of really go into those deeper. Number four, there's an interesting balance between MVP for the platform and easily enabling MVPs, you know, or minimum viable products for data products. It's hard to say exactly where the line falls, you know, and specific note for me here is Glovo said in episode 139 that they wish they had focused a bit more on making it easier to launch and initially manage data products over kind of more advanced capabilities that they built that they didn't focus on as much. Number five, consider when to start saying you actually have a platform. That can be a a bit of a political statement when you tell somebody we have a platform. Potentially wait until you have started to build out the data experience plane for data producers before you start telling them that you actually have a platform itself. You can call it a platform internally to your team, whatever, but think about what you re- how you're communicating. If there isn't a tangible way to interact, the platform may exist, but users don't really know what it is and what it enables them to do. But the experience plane shouldn't be among the first capabilities you build either. So maybe you have a platform, you know, at the start, but you don't tell anybody until you're 9, 12 months in. Number six, your data platform work needs to focus on capabilities and enabling value delivery. But that value delivery needs needs to be visible to business users. Basically, find your value leverage points that are visible to others and focus on satisfying those when you can to drive buy-in that you're delivering value. It can be a political game, unfortunately. Number seven, you can't treat domains as if they are all the same or especially early, often even similar. There will be different value drivers or needs and often very different capabilities. So you have to make sure your platform has the necessary capabilities to drive value for that specific domain. And if it doesn't yet or it won't in the near future, it might not be time to partner with that specific domain yet. And that's okay. We need to really get into that mode of that being okay. Number eight, at the start of your journey, you will probably be focused on building capabilities to serve specific needs. Of course, try to build those in generalized ways to serve many needs, but still. As you evolve and grow the platform, you need to focus more and more on your overall suite of capabilities and look for where you have gaps in those capabilities rather than trying to serve to any specific use case. Don't only wait for capabilities requests either. But also, again, don't just look to build cool things because they're fun to build, right? I know that's always a uh, a potential of any platform work. Number nine, Start to build out data product specifications based on early data products. Those will provide a much easier path for later data products. 
whether built by new domains or existing domains using the platform. Number 10, charging models. You know, how do you actually charge and cost things? And who should own what costs are going to play a bigger role than you'd probably like. It's going to be a challenge you need to address at the platform level, even while, you know, presumably others will decide who should actually own the costs. How does that flow through? But you need to kind of start to figure that out. How do you track at least things so that you could allocate them at the platform level? Number 11, do not focus too much on building capabilities to launch a data product. The launch is just the single day in the life of a product. You need to build capabilities that also help domains maintain and evolve their data products, right? It's a product, so it needs to not just be launched. It needs to, you know, continue on as, as an existing entity. Number 12, should the bounded context of a data product drive all the way down to the resourcing? Basically, should there be zero shared resources between data products? I know this one is a bit controversial as it's kind of a key aspect of Jamak's vision, but people really do worry about costs if everything has to be entirely separate for every single data product. If you believe in that complete separation, how do we make sure there aren't overlaps on computational resources and storage? It won't be super easy because it's not how most data services have been built historically. So be kind of aware of this and start to think about do you really want to dig into that? Do you want to buy into that? I think a lot of people are finding that if they don't, it does kind of bite them in the end. Number 13, many data engineers will still be thinking waterfall. Be prepared. Agile can work very well if it's done well, but it's not done all that well in data all that often. One thing I'm seeing is safe seems to be less hated in doing uh, agile for data specifically. It's pretty widely panned in software, but SAFE might provide a bridge to doing agile and data, something to in investigate, but definitely I'm not giving advice or guidance there, but it's something to look into. Is SAFE actually going to help us in data? I still kind of think no, but <laughs> it's something that a lot of people are pretty uh, happy with. Number 14, Paolo essentially said, you know, heavily paraphrased or edited for flow, we really need to pay attention to optimize the ratio between the value that we bring with new features against the satisfaction of various users. This drives prioritization across phases, whether the focus of that phase is on adoption, productivity, satisfaction, etc. What is the outcome we want to achieve in each phase? Then we use that to prioritize features or capabilities. Right. And I think this like really thinking of what phase are we in and what are we trying to do right now is really important. Number 15, every mesh platform build out will be different, especially depending on what capabilities are most valued in your organization. For some, that might be security or privacy governance, you know, regarding regulators. For others, it might be usability. Find your value leverage points and also find what the people with the purse strings will find the most valuable. Number 16, measuring the return on investment, even just the success of a data mesh platform will be tough, but it's important to start early and to and start to get your arms around it. Productivity gains are an easy measurement to consider 
as you get more sophisticated. Look to measurements of return on investment in software to get some ideas, but be comfortable that things will always be a bit squishy, right? Around data, people have always thought of what is the exact number? We should have an exact amount or an exact you know, measurement of this. And things are going to be a bit squishy, but you can really start to drive towards those stories and say, like, what did this enable us to do? How much do we value this? Number 17, if you are building your platform as a product, products focus far more on user experience or, you know, UX than most aspects of data infrastructure have historically. Make sure you really understand the value drivers. If users don't adopt your platform, nothing else you do with it really matters. Number 18, producers being willing to own their data and then understanding what that ownership really means will probably be one of your biggest challenges. Hard to tackle that at the platform level, but to look to support those efforts as best as you can. Number 19, data producers and consumers still don't generally talk to each other in many organizations. Look to potentially put more mechanisms in to foster communication. Scott note here, you can see my Mesh Musing episode 188, where I believe all consumers must register their use cases with producers. And finally, number 20, you will have to decide things like, do you isolate compute and storage resources at the domain or data product level? Data producers don't care. Make that invisible to them. The, the key aspect to focus on is to enable and not block. Basically give da- domains the agency to get their work done, but find ways to reduce their friction and obfuscate decisions like that from them. They're important decisions, but they're irrelevant to the users. Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey, helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.